The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to see you and good to be with you this morning. <clears throat> My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. So if you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're just joining us, we are five months into a verse-by-verse study in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. We've called this study Practicing the Way of Jesus because Jesus's sermon is much more than just Hey, believe in me. I'm going to die for you, right? It's more than just believing in Jesus. He's actually teaching his disciples to walk a certain way, to live a certain life, to practice his way. When he says the same thing he says to all of us, come and follow me, that's an invitation to learn a whole new way of living. Jesus invites his followers in to a way towards flourishing. Now, I'm going to say kind of the obvious thing. It's not enough to just know of the way of Jesus. You must actually follow it. You must actually practice it if you're going to flourish. Just as I could come around to every single one of you today and I could ask you, do you know how to be healthy? And you'd probably say, well, yeah, I think so. I'd probably start... I need to eat some things that grow and don't just eat things that come out of a box, right? I should probably start working out a little bit. You know, I should probably lower my stress. There's nearly every American knows how to be healthy. But are we healthy? No, because most of us don't actually practice that way of life. We like little Debbies and Ding Dongs, right? And we like Netflix and we like sitting on the couch and doing nothing. And we like... actually blaming our wives for shrinking our clothes. When it's not our wives shrinking our clothes, it's our body expanding, right? Now what's the, we know it, we don't practice it. Now, I think that's true about many who claim to follow Jesus. Far too many know the way and yet actually fail to practice the way in their daily life. If you look at their life, their life looks nothing like Jesus. So guess what? Their fruit looks nothing like Jesus. Last week, Jesus talked about anxiety. I heard from a lot of you that that was really beneficial and really helpful for you. Well, listen, just learning that last week will not make you less anxious. You actually have to practice the way of Jesus if you want to live a life that flourishes that's less anxious. Now this morning, Jesus is going to show us what his way looks like when it comes to relationships, specifically relationships between Christians. You're gonna see a lot of brother brother language, okay? 
Here's the question. How are we to live in community with one another? How are we to relate with one another? Now, if you think that's a simple answer, it's not. And you haven't lived for very long in relationship with other people. (laughs) Because being in relationship um, with other people is incredibly difficult. Why? Because of my sin and because of your sin. And guess what? It's not easy living in relationship with people who sin and specifically who, spin, who sin in ways that I don't like, right? Most of us have gotten kind of comfortable with our own sin. It's the other people's sin that we don't like. Well, Jesus is gonna show us how to live in relationship with other Christians in a way that brings about the flourishing life, okay? <clears throat> now, our relationships can go wrong in many different ways. They go off the, tra- off the, off the, tr- off the tracks in a lot of different ways. Um, Jesus here is going to speak to our difficulties in, with some profound insight. Um, but as I was coming to this text, first I want to tell you right away, this text is very often misunderstood. Um, it's mistaught. It's misapplied. And it's honestly not a very simple passage. As I was trying to outline it, I wanted to have like three simple points and wrap it all up and I would have a point and then I would read on. And I, uh, I couldn't figure, how to figure out how to get it all together. So um, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to come at this passage and we're going to examine four characters that Jesus gives us. Okay. Three positive example or three negative examples, one positive example, three characters to avoid emulating and one character to actually obey or emulate or look like. Okay. So we've got three negative examples, one positive. We're going to have, we're going to look at the judge the hypocrite, the undiscerning, and then the Christian brother or sister. And here's what I want you to see before we jump into it this morning. We're all gonna wanna be number four. If you're a Christian, you wanna be number four. The problem is you can never become number four unless you're first willing to see you're number one, two, or three. So this is, that's, that's tough because the first three examples are negative, and you're going to want to see them in your spouse or your kids or your neighbor. You're wanting, when I'm describing them, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know that person. Uh-huh. I hope they're listening. I'm going to send them the link right now. Right? But here's the problem. I'm actually talking about you. You. Say me, please. Okay. We're ready now. Okay. So here's my thing. We can't be number four, the positive example, until we admit we're one, two, or three, okay? That's where we're gonna go this morning. So I want you to hear, with, hopefully, with those ears. Now, let me pray for us. Father, uh, only you can give us that uh, ability to see ourselves clearly. Only you can open our eyes to ourselves. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. That's why we open up your word. We open up your word because it is timeless truth. It is given to us, really, eternal words given to us for right now. And so I pray that you would help me, even though I'm tired and, and I've got my own you know, failures and weaknesses and, and, and sins, I pray that you would still use me this morning, that you would really think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords, that your people would hear your voice. Would you help us um, hear you this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna jump right in. You're gonna see all kind of things here. Let's read it together. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Okay, mic drop, let's just all go home right there. Judge not that you not be judged. Now listen, if you've ever 
pointed somebody's sin out or said, hey man, I don't like the way you did that or man, that really bothered me. This is probably the most familiar verse in the whole Bible. Anybody that feels backed into a corner or feels called out, what do they say? Judge not, you be not judged, right? I swear, like as I, as I shared my faith before, I think more atheists know this Bible verse than any other Bible verse. Immediately, judge not, judge not, judge not, right? Now there's a problem. The problem is Jesus is not speak, he doesn't just throw this statement out there and then walk away. He actually teaches us what he meant by it in, the next, in this paragraph. And it's kind of fascinating. Let's keep reading. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, judge not. Right? Jesus, judge not. Next sentence. You hypocrite. Right? So this judge not is not this blanket statement that we're never going to make moral judgments, right? No, no, no. He's going to qualify. So you hypocrite, and a hypocrite, remember, was a stage actor. That's what it meant. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before Pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All right, what's going on in this passage? First off, Jesus, he's gonna show us the char one character to avoid in our relationship is being the judge. He says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now, there's this great scene, one of my fa really favorite scenes in uh, Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring in the book and um, Frodo is looking at Gollum and Gollum is following him down the mines of Moria. And if you don't know this, Gollum was um, pretty much a good, a good person that had succumbed to idolatry, the worship of this one ring and, this, and it had turned him, his idolatry, his sin, had turned him into a wicked little creature. And Frodo, Frodo was looking at him and just disgusted by him and wishing death upon him. And he says, man, I wish, his, I wish Bilbo would have killed him when he had the chance. He deserves death. And Gandalf says this, deserves it? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Then do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment for even the very wise cannot see all ends. See, that's what Jesus is warning against. Taking the place of a judge in your relationship. Well, what does that mean to be, to be a judge, to set myself up as a judge? Well, think about a judge. A judge is literally on a different level from others. There's a reason the courtrooms are set up the way they are, that the judge sits up higher and, and the judge is there in his place and he's looking down on you, right? And the judge is there to judge. The judge is not there to be judged. You don't, when you're before a judge, you don't get to go, well, I, I, hold on. Can I say something? I don't like the way you're doing this. 
The judge is not, it's not about me. It's about you. A judge is judging someone else, right? So when Jesus says, be careful to put yourself in a place of a judge, this is the person who is constantly looking down on others. They claim to have a viewpoint everyone else, no one else has. Only I can see the truth in the situation. Only I really know what's going on here. Only I really know what that guy meant by that, what he said, or what she meant by what she said. See, the judge claims to know things for certain that cannot be known for certain. Namely, what's in a person's heart. Jesus says, be careful before you assume you know the motives of somebody's heart. See, a judgmental person is a person who lacks grace, mercy, oftentimes patience, forgiveness. And here's what Jesus says to the judgmental person, the person who lives their life looking down on others, always telling everybody else how they screwed up, really can clearly see everybody else's issues. He says, the judgment that you use for others will be used for you. That is quite concerning. Undue harshness and a judgmental attitude toward others will result in being treated in much the same way by God when we stand before him. Jesus says, be very careful before taking the place of judge in your Christian relationships. Now, there's two ways we can look at all of these characters. One is through the way it works inside the Christian community. So way, let's just talk about the way it works in our missional community, right? That's a discipleship issue, but there's always also a missional perspective. So the judgmental guy is no fun to be around in missional community, you know, just getting called out all the time and, and, and you know, a person sitting in place of judge and making you feel small, making you feel stupid, all this kind of stuff. It's not fun to be in in a community, but neither is it missional in the sense of, Nobody outside the faith is going, that judgmental girl, man, what is she doing? I just want to be with her. Does she gather with other people where they do that together? I can't wait to be around that judgmental person. I want to be a part of that judgmental community, right? So it's a, it's a failure in Christian relationships and discipleship, but it's also an evangelistic failure. And all of, the, all of these are like that as well. But Jesus goes on. He doesn't just stop at the judge. Verse three, he goes on to the hypocrite. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, this is your Christian brother again, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. This is one of Jesus's most memorable and hilarious parables, right? Imagine going in for LASIK surgery and your doctor steps in, your surgeon steps in with a two by four protruding from their face, right? Doc, 
I do have a problem. I did here, come here to be worked on, but I think you might have a more pressing need today. Go take care of yourself, right? This is the picture that Jesus gives us. Now, what, what's he talking about? It's a brilliant, beautiful picture of a person who lacks self-awareness and integrity, right? Can you imagine this surgeon that morning dressing himself for work, coming in? I'm good. I should be good to go, right? This, this guy apparently does not have a spouse. <laughs> that, that, she, that's what she would have done. Honey, go swing by the ER before you go into work today, right? You've got a log protruding from your face. That needs work, I think, right? Now, this is the person that wants to be helpful. Maybe even they want to be holy, but their unwillingness or inability to deal with their own issues makes them unhelpful and hypocritical to others. John Stott says of this passage in one of my commentaries, he said, all of us, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We can see with perfect clarity across the room, a speck in somebody else's eye, and we have a log sticking out of our own. What kind of creatures are we? This is the guy who wants to dish out marriage advice when his own wife is miserable and they haven't been on a date in months. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you can see his log sticking out of his face and he's trying to help you with your speck and you're basically, your heart is just going, no thanks, bro. This is the mom who is quick to give parenting advice when her own kids are undisciplined and disobedient, terrorizing their home with their foolishness. I could go on and on. The saddest thing about the hypocrite is that everyone sees the log except for themselves. Think about this. Now, it's, not, it's not a very hard, actually, it's not very hard to think about. How effective of a disciple maker can we be with a log sticking out of our eye? Right? Now, parents, this, is, this hurts, parents. This hurts. Because our kids see our logs <laughs> sticking out of our face. And when we want to nitpick them for whatever they're doing in their room or their homework or their this or that, and we have a log sticking out of our face, it's hypocritical. Jesus says we should be really careful before we call out a speck in our brother or sister's eye, especially when we're struggling with the same sin or similar sin. We have a log sticking out of our face. Number three, the last character Jesus warns us against emulating is the undiscerning person. And this is different. Look at verse um, six. Do not give dogs what is holy. Now, first off, we need to know what, what is Jesus talking about here. A dog in Jesus' day would have been just a mongrel, would have been a mutt, would have not have been a nice little cute pet that you taught to do tricks. They would have been scavengers. They, they would, they're dangerous animals, 
okay? He's saying you don't give what is holy to dogs. And pigs, of course, were unclean animals to the Jews and they couldn't even touch them without becoming ritually unclean. So what Jesus is talking about here is the person who is hardened to the things of God. Now, I want you, I want you to, again, judge not, yes, ye be judged. Jesus pronounced a judgment when he called the person a hypocrite. And now he's pronouncing a judgment, a pretty harsh judgment by putting the label of dog or pig or unclean animal onto another human being. That shows us his command to judge not was not a blanket judgment against all personal and moral judgment. It wasn't, all right, Christian, you go and you just worry about yourself now. Don't worry about anybody else. Never say anything about anybody else. You just worry about yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. But rather, it's a call to be slow to judge and to be patient with those we are in relationships with. So here Jesus says, Look, the undiscerning person gives what is holy to dogs. He throws pearls before pigs. The picture is straightforward. The Jew of Jesus' day would have never gave, gave something precious or holy or set apart for God to a dog. They never would literally throw their pearls out to swine. Why? What would happen? If you throw your pearls out to swine, that's something very valuable. Guess what a swine would do with pearls? Probably eat them because that's what swine do. They eat anything. And guess what they would receive from those pearls? Nothing. No nourishment. Might even hurt them. Might even cause damage to them. And Jesus says, you know what they're going to do when they realize that you gave them something that didn't benefit them at all? They're going to turn around and attack you with it. What is Jesus talking about? The dogs and the pigs here represent people who have hardened themselves to the pearl of great price, namely Jesus or the gospel. You give them the gospel, they hear it, but it's like a ping pong ball bouncing off of a statue. The seeds of the gospel sown on the hard soil or sown on the cement do nothing. And so you're literally wasting seed. You're wasting time. You're wasting effort giving what is holy to that which is not. John Calvin said this, it ought to be understood that dogs and swine are names given not every kind of men or to those who are destitute of the fear of God and of true godliness, but to those who, listen, by clear evidences have manifested a hardened contempt of God so that their disease appears to be incurable. Hmm. What's he saying? Jesus is telling us we are not to be undiscerning in our relationships. All of us are finite beings. Do you know what that means? That means we have limited resources. We have limited opportunities to share the gospel. We have limited time. We have limited relational capacities. We only have so much capacity to be in relationship with people. And there comes a time sometimes when you're making investments into a relationship and it's like that ping pong ball bouncing off a statue and the Christian doesn't do that their entire life. You would be literally wasting all that time. There comes a time through prayer, sometimes fasting, listening to the Lord, that you realize the investments I'm making here are not fruitful. I must pull away 
and invest somewhere else. There comes a time, it might be few and far between, where we stop investing in a relationship. Now, the Apostle Paul followed this principle in all of his mission work. On his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas said to the Jews who were contradicting their preaching in Antioch, he said this, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it from you, so would not receive it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. We're sowing the seed, you're not receiving it, we're moving on. And when the Jews incited the city leaders to drive them out, this is what he says, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. The same thing happened in Corinth on his second missionary journey. The Jews opposed him. Paul shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent of the matter. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He did it a third time in Rome when the Jewish leaders rejected the gospel. He said, let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. See, we see this in the life of Paul. Now, let me tell you, we do not give up on people and totally write them off. We can still pray for them and hope that God would soften their heart. But when it comes to actively investing in their life and sharing the gospel with them, there comes a time when we must use discernment and move on to someone else. That's never easy. It's difficult but we've got to do it if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. Now, so far we've got three things here. We've got the judge, we've got the hypocrite, and we've got the undiscerning person. The person who just is in all kinds of relationships and they're never really making disciples and they're never really investing and they're never really willing to call anybody on the carpet and they're just kind of throwing pearls before swine, Jesus says. Now, if you pause and you survey your own heart, do you see yourself in any of these characters? If you look over your own life, you might conclude like I have, that I have been guilty of emulating all of these characters at least some point in my life. Now, we might gravitate towards one more than the other. If you've got a certain personality, you're going to be easy to probably be the judge. If you've got a certain other personality, you're going to be the one that just kind of throws pearls before swine. You're just easy going and doesn't really matter what everybody else is doing. But here's the thing. All three of these characters kill Christian community and destroy Christian witness in the world. One of the main reasons our culture does not find the gospel compelling is because the gospel is being proclaimed by one of these three characters. And people look at that and a preacher who's having an affair and they completely dismiss it. What a joke, right? And one of the things that's killing your missional community right now maybe is the presence of one of these three characters that's dominating the conversation being judgmental, being just dismissive and flipping and nobody cares about anybody's sin. We're not gonna call anybody out. We're not gonna challenge anybody, right? Or just being, blank, just being blanket hypocritical. 
The judge lacks grace. The hypocrite lacks integrity and the undiscerning lacks judgment. All three of these characters will ruin a missional community. So what, we should, so what should we do? Well, Jesus gives us one more example and this is the example we're all meant to emulate. Uh, but it's not just behavior that we can modify that we're meant to follow. It's actually going to take a change in our relationship with Jesus Christ himself to produce this in us. So let's look at this last option. Um, this is the one that we should emulate. Just because Jesus doesn't give us a creative title here, I'm just calling it the Christian brother or sister, okay? Let's look at the Christian brother or sister. Look at verse five. So it says, you hypocrite, but then here we go. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus here is showing us what Christian community is meant to look like, okay? There's four steps to it. One, it requires personal examination. That's what I'm gonna say. One, personal examination. Here's the revelation that's needed. I have a log in my eye. Step one, I have sin in my life. I have something wrong with me. Now I realize that maybe your whole life you've been told that you are an angel and that you are perfect and that you are a unique snowflake and there is nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with the world and everybody else needs to change to fit you into it. That is not the world of scripture. That's not the real world. Jesus says, you got a problem, bro. The problem is sin. That's your problem. Step one, personal examination. I have a log in my face. Now, how do I come to that realization? Lots of different ways. They're called ordinary or uh, normal means of grace. Reading the Bible. I read the Bible and I read something and I go, oh, ah, that's me. I sin like that or I need grace or I need this. Reading scripture opens my eyes to my own sin, makes me aware of my sin. This gathering this morning, that's one of the things that we do, on the, do this morning. It's most to open our eyes to our own sin, how we've fallen short, we miss the mark. Prayer does this. Maybe the best way this is done is intrusive Christian community. Having a Christian brother or sister actually say, hey dude, what's going on with this in your life? Step one, personal examination. Step two, soul surgery. He says this, first, take the log out of your own eye. So first, first thing I had to do is realize I have a log in my eye. Second thing I have to do is take the log out of my eye. That means remove the sin from my life. This is soul surgery. Now this is, first off, Acknowledging it, confessing the sin, repenting of the sin and turning away from it. Again, this is one of the things we do on this Sunday morning. This, there's a reason why we put the confession of sin up on the screen for us all to read it. This gathering isn't just a way for us to express our devotion for God. This gathering is a way for us to be formed into Christians as we should be. So what do I mean by that? That confession of sin this morning was pretty amazing. And I never, in my personal time, I never confess sins that I see up on that screen. I'm usually, my, my confession is very lame, typically. Father, please forgive me for all my sins. 
right? I very rarely articulate my judgmental attitude as we did this morning. I look on the sins of others. I can see their sin a lot clearer than I can see mine. So one of the reasons we confess our sins corporately is to help teach us how to actually confess our sins, to diagnose, diagnose the logs that are in our eyes that we don't even realize that we're looking down on others as judges. And then we come on Sunday morning and we read that confession, we realize, oh, I did do that all week. I have been, I'm a worse sinner than I thought. We confess that, we repent, and then we hear the absolution, the forgiveness of that sin. Jesus is telling us here, take the log out of your own eye. That means take the sword of the spirit and go to war with your own sin first. Cut, your, cut the log out of your eye before you go nitpicking in somebody else's business. Now, this is often something we don't just do on our own, but it's often, our, if we're married, our spouse is gonna help us do this. Our missional community is gonna help us do this, fight club, et cetera, et cetera. Step three, so step one, self-assess. I have a log in my eye. Step two, soul surgery. That work needs to be done. I gotta take it out. I gotta get rid of it. Step three, see clearly. Look at verse six again. Take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly. Here's what happens. The awareness of my own sin and my fight against it and my need of constant grace from God and others gives me clear gospel eyes to see the world. The, the analogy is perfect, right? If I have a log out of, sticking out of my eye, my eyesight is hindered. I am not seeing things clearly. Though I think I can see across the room and I can see a speck in your eye, I can see a sin that really gets on my nerves. What I need to do is be aware of the bigger sin that's in my face right here. And when that gets removed, God gives me the ability to see clearly. It changes my perspective. My own sin is no longer obscuring my vision. My own judge-like sense of superiority is not affecting my perspective on my brother or sister. When I get that, when I, get that, when I realize I've got a glaring sin in my life, and I confess it and I repent and I get that thing removed, I all of a sudden realize that guy with the speck in his eye, I'm just like he is. I am in need of grace just like he is. I am a loved and forgiven sinner in need of grace just like he is. But then there's a fourth step. And this is going to be really challenging for some of you. There's this Americanized version of Christianity that is just about me and my relationship with Jesus. And so I go and I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't really bother with anybody else and I don't really want to get in your business and you can get... You can go do your own thing. But that's not what Christian community is meant to look like. Christian community is meant to be intrusive. 
Look what he says here. Verse six, again. First, take the log out of your eye. Then you will see clearly, look, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This fourth aspect here of the Christian in community is helping others get the sin out of their life, taking the speck out of their eye. Paul Tripp says it like this, people in need of change, helping people in need of change. That's what we do in community. We, we see our own sin. We repent of our own sin. We get that sin out of our life. Then we can see clearly to help our brother or sister take the speck out of their eye. This is a difficult reality that many of us just, we don't want anyone ever pointing out the speck in their eye. <laughs> I didn't come here for you to tell me what's wrong with me. And often what do we, we'll use this same text from Jesus to affirm that. Jesus said, judge not, judge not, bro. I didn't come here to hear that, judge not. And we use that judge not as a wall to keep anyone from ever challenging us on something in our life that isn't in line with the way of Jesus. Christian brothers and sisters do not ignore sin in each other's life. That little speck. Now, what's more important? The plank in my, the, the log in my eye or the speck? Clearly the log. Jesus says, deal with that first. But then he doesn't go, oh, but just ignore the speck. No, if that speck in his eye or her eye goes unaddressed, it can fester, it can get infected, it can lead to blindness in the future. That little sin grows up to be a big sin if left unaddressed. That thing you see in his life might lead to an affair later, might lead that marriage to divorce later, might lead that child to run away from Jesus later because that judgmental attitude is not being addressed in that father. Jesus does not say Christian community overlooks everybody's sin. Now, love does cover a multitude of sins and there are, some there are a lot of things in Christian community. We don't jump on every single sin all the time. No, there's some things we can see. Okay, they're in a very difficult season in life or they've got a stressful day at work and, he got, and he, this happened that. Okay, you know what? Love covers that multitude of sin. I get that. But if we see this prolonged, repeated sin in a brother or sister's life and we're in community with them and we fail to address it, we are not loving them like Jesus tells us to love them. Now here's the deal. That feels like walking a tightrope over the Grand Canyon, right? Very easy. Acknowledge your own sin. Take the log out of your eye. Kindly and gently address your brother and sister and remove the speck from their eye. And then community will be nice and perfect, right? Except it feels like you're walking a tightrope because you can fall off into judgmental, you can fall off into hypocrisy, you can fall off into, eh, no big deal. Ignoring sin. So how do we do this? Well, this is what I mean. The only way 
that you can become this type of person if you can acknowledge the reality that you are one, two, and three, and only a supernatural encounter with Jesus will transition you into character number four. That's it. That's it. You can't go from just being, a, oh, I'm just gonna not be judgmental today. Right, good luck with that. Bro, you are a judgmental person. That's just who you are, right? Or I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not gonna be naive today. And you're like, hmm. I bet. No, you have to have a supernatural change by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that comes by believing the gospel, hearing the good news of what Jesus has done for us and bringing that in. And see, this is what the gospel does. The gospel makes me both bold and gentle when it comes to removing the speck out of my brother's eye. I'm bold enough to step into it knowing he might punch me in the face. He might get mad at me. He might lash out at me. But I'm gentle enough, I'm not bringing a chainsaw to the party, right? I'm like, I need some tweezers here, right? But on the receiving end of it, the gospel makes me both humble and secure. I'm humble enough to know when somebody calls me out for something or says something, I guarantee you there's at least a fraction of truth in it. Right? I'm humble enough to know I am a sinner in need of grace. And so if somebody says I've got a speck in my eye, more than likely they might be right. So I'm humble enough to go, I'm going to listen to this. But I'm secure enough because of the gospel that when they point out a speck in my eye, I'm not just crushed. I'm not even shocked. I'm like, oh, yeah, sounds about right. I'm not devastated. If your identity is built on your morality, when somebody calls you out for something, you will be crushed by it. But if it's in the gospel, what did the gospel tell me? Oh, I am so bad that nothing but the son of God could save me. And I'm so loved that the son of God willingly did it for me? If that's true about me, when somebody says, hey, I think you sinned, I'm like, okay, yeah. Jesus died on the cross for my sin, my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. All of it was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. He is not surprised by my sin. I shouldn't be surprised by my sin, right? So when I believe the gospel, it makes me both humble enough to admit, yep, there's probably some truth to that, and secure enough not to lose my mind and lose my identity when somebody says something bad about me. Now, again, I said this only comes through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. What does that look like? Think about it like this. Jesus is the only one who sits in the seat of judge and can see things perfectly clear all the time. There is no obstruction from his view. He sees us exactly as we are. Scripture says that he can even see into our hearts He says, we're blind to our own hearts, but Jesus knows what's going on into our hearts. He sees us 
when we're playing the judge. He sees us when we're playing the hypocrite. He sees us when we're playing the undiscerning person. He sees us perfectly clear. Now, I want to ask you, how does that make you feel? Because this can kind of be a diagnostic tool to see how intimately connected you are to the real Jesus. Because if you hear that and you think Jesus sees me and Jesus is watching and Jesus knows what's going on in my heart and that makes me feel afraid, that makes me feel ashamed or less than, or it creates a sense of anxiety in me, then that should tell us, then you don't understand who Jesus is and you don't understand the reality of the gospel. See, Christians should never fear the watchful eyes of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that we can come to on a daily basis and let, us, let him examine us without a fear of judgment. Can you imagine, like, you're a doctor, guy comes in, plank sticking out of his face, this is what doctors do. Oh, interesting, interesting. Bring the nurse in here. Take some pictures of that. That's crazy. Okay, cool. Fix you all up. Send you all out. Next day, dude walks back in. Doctor's like, whoa. Bro, you should probably start, you know, change your lifestyle or something. Three, four day, three or four days, every day he comes in with something sticking out of his face. Doctor's finally like, I don't think I can help you. You need to go find some, you need to go somewhere else. Jesus is not like that. We can bring our sin and our failures and our weaknesses to him moment by moment by moment, day after day after day, year after year after year, and he never gets tired of seeing us. Now, why is that? Remember the gospel. Jesus is the judge that was judged in place of us. Jesus was the judge who stepped out of the judgment seat and took the place of a condemned criminal in our place for us. Jesus was the holy one who was treated like a dog and a pig, laid out, sacrificed, blood pouring down the cross in our place for our sins. Jesus himself is the wounded healer. We're to bring him our wounds. We're to bring him our weaknesses. We're to bring him our sins. And he gives us healing and strength and forgiveness. He's the one who makes us into these type of people. But it's only by entering into this living, breathing, real relationship with that Jesus that you're going to become that type of person. That's it. So how do you get free from this judgmental attitude? You see that the judge was judged in your place. How do you get free of this hypocritical reality of not dealing with my own sins? Bring them to Jesus and realize you don't got to hide your sins anymore. You don't have to cover them up. The world already sees them. 
Martin Luther said some crazy things. And one of the crazy things he said was, sin boldly just to tick the devil off. Now, he's not saying go out and just do it. What he's saying is we're sinning all the time. The reality is, do we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength? No. Guess what that is? Sin. And what he was trying to get across, we should be so confident in the welcome, the forgiveness, the love of God found in the gospel that we're not afraid to let people see that we have a log in our eye. First step towards healing. And guess what? Because of that, Jesus healing me, Jesus changing me, Jesus doing constant work on me, I am now not gonna be that person that just allows everybody to sin around me without stepping into it and go, bro, that's not cool. Or I don't think that's the way to follow Jesus. That we're actually going to step into those messy relationships with other Christians and say, hey, in a humble way, I think I might be seeing something in your life right here that needs to be addressed. That's what Christian community is for. But it can only happen when Christians believe the gospel and do the work on themselves first. Let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do this work that we can't do this morning. Jesus, what a prescription for the messiness of human community. You don't promote a laissez-faire attitude that just puts a bunch of sin in community and doesn't address it. Neither do you prescribe a judgmental attitude of us versus them. Hmm. Prescribe something much more difficult, I would dare say impossible without your Holy Spirit and the beauty of the gospel. Would you help us believe it this morning? Believe it for ourselves and believe it for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You've purchased for us not only salvation, but you pur purchased for us growth in godliness. But you want us to be better men and better women. And you've called us to yourself and you're making us into that if we would submit to your process. And I pray that we would today. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our lives. Would you do the work that only you can do? And Father, as a visual reality of the gospel, we come to your table this morning where you called sinners to come unto and you said, on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the wine and you said, this is my blood spilled for you, the cup of the new covenant. That we can never become good enough to earn our way into your kingdom. We must enter through the blood of your son. And Jesus offers that to us this morning. And so we are sinners in need of grace and we come repentant to your table this morning and open up our hands and ask for you to give us what you always give us and that is more grace. Help us receive it and believe it this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.